All right, you are now tuned in to the Follow Through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast, episode 174. It looks like we're going to have an NBA All-Star game. Drew and I are going to give you our feelings on that. Fred Van Vliet sets a Toronto Raptors record. Clippers and Lakers wind down on their longest road trip of the year. And we got our boy, Tomer Zarli from Clutch Points, the beat writer for the Los Angeles Clippers. We're going to talk about the Jared Dudley book. It's a book that I will not be buying, Drew. So follow through with Clips and Drew. Drew, kick that intro music. Excuse me, I didn't mean to interrupt like Mount Vesuvius. I'm about due to erupt. Use it or I'm losing it. They say I need to loosen up. Tight, I'm well taught. I must do the max like Ludi us. I do have something to say. So you got to give it up. Give it up. You never heard something like this what up, podcast world? What's up, everybody? You know what it is. You know where you are at. It is the follow-through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast. Episode 174, Drewski. It's been a it's been a long week. Uh, you had a long week of moving. Did you did you get into the the new castle? Yeah, I'm coming live, coming live from the new crib right now. Um, oh, it's, good lighting, uh, it's, too. Good lighting, Drew. I like it. Much more light in here than in the previous apartment. Yeah, we have we we have like three sliding glass doors even. So it's a yeah, it's a bigger place. Um, we got a yard for for Kona, which is I think kind of the main reason that we actually were moving. It's so funny that Casey and I have decided to move simply because we have a dog. Um, and like the, the the key factors was us maintaining and having some sort of yard for her to run around in, and that's been great because she's been. I'm able to actually throw a ball to her in my in my backyard and have her go run and get it, which is great because before we just had a balcony that she's just pissing shit on. So it's a nice place, man. It's a nice place. We're uh, we're excited to be here and I'm much closer uh, to the Clips Castle as well. Yes. I cut yeah. my drive in half. Uh, but shout out to Carlsbad. We're, we're loving it. That the most treacherous and slash most beautiful thing about this location, other than everything I mentioned, is that I am less than a mile away from it in and out. Oh, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, we've already had it twice. I've been here for less than a week. We've already had it for dinner twice. <laughs> um, so it's going to be, a, yeah, it's, it's going to become an issue. Um, I may have to actually like start walking there if I wanted to like, I have to like Get your it. steps in, bro. 20K <laughs> clip. Come on. But um, it's glorious thus far. Um, to, to our listeners that are, don't have the uh, the option to go to In-N-Out, you don't understand how good an In-N-Out burger is to our people outside of california and arizona if you ever do come to california in and out is the first place you should go animal style fries correct yeah i'm actually not an animal style guy uh, but it's no it, the secret is the well done fries so if you're not a person that likes sloppy french fries or you know you don't want like a whole like to eat the fries with a fork thing you just want some fries if you do go to in and out order the fries well done you will not regret it Hey, and you're, you moved into your spot right in time for Super Bowl. We got Super Bowl on Sunday. That's two days away. Uh, I know who I'm taking. I got, I'm got. i going to go with the GOAT, Brady. I don't know who you're taking. Who do you got? Are you going with Brady because you actually think that that he'll win? Or do you are you just going because you want – that's I what you see. want? I just think he's – I mean, it's, so, it's funny because, like, after he won his third, I'm like, yeah, he's the GOAT. And then you get – now you've gone to the Super Bowl ten times. He's like – he's the – like, okay, there's a difference – is there a difference between Tom Brady going to the Super Bowl 10 times and LeBron James going to the Super Bowl 10 or to the to the finals 10 times and only winning four? Right. Yeah, the difference is how many rings they have. That's the right? difference okay. is that Brady's got six rings and nine appearances and LeBron has four. 
in like 10 or something like that. that I mean, that's, that's obvious, the obvious difference there, but um, <laughs> I, yeah, so I do have a, I have a bit of a connection to the Bucks. So I am also pulling for the Bucks. My buddy, Ryan Griffin, uh, high school teammate of mine is the third stringer for uh, quarterback, third string quarterback for the Bucks. So he, he's got an up close and personal look at what it's like to, to watch to the, the greatest quarterback ever do his thing. Um, and we don't have any Super Bowl champions from my small high school, even though we're a very proud athletic program. Shout out to Chaminade College Prep. Uh, we don't have a Super Bowl winner, so it would be great for for Ryan, even though even though he's not going to play a minute, hasn't played a minute. He's been in the league for almost ten years and still hasn't made a snap in uh, in a regular game. But I would love to to see that happen. I only really, to be quite honest, I'm a Rams guy and. I'm excited about Stafford joining the Rams. I just want the fourth quarter to matter in this right. game. I don't really care who wins. It just sucks when it's a blowout because if if we're going into the fourth quarter and both teams are in it and it's like a relatively close game, that's all I care about. And that's, that's what I'm looking for. So who are you taking is the question. I honestly think the chiefs are significantly better than every other team in the NFL. I mean, they've proved that over and over again. And, Obviously, it's really boring for reporters and the media to just be like, well, they're clearly the fucking best team that we have. And it's probably not close. Um, so, I mean, given the fact that it is a Super Bowl and it's one game uh, as opposed to a series, I do. St- I still think the Bucks have to have, have to have a chance because anything can happen in one game. But if it was like the NBA and, and we're doing a three, five, seven game series, it's, it's Chiefs hands down without a doubt. Like no team has beaten them over multiple games. All right, for all our new listeners, we are we normally never talk about NFL football. There's a lot of basketball news that we're going to get into. First thing first, Drew, uh, for whatever reason, Chris Paul, Adam Silver, they want an all-star game. There is going to be an all-star game on March 7th in Atlanta, which is like the worst place to have an all-star game. Um, a lot of players, they're pretty divided on this. LeBron came out last night and said, I have no – Uh, I think he said, I have no energy or ambition to play in an all-star game. Chris Paul, who's been pushing for it, uh, who's probably not even going to be in the all-star game. Um, De'Aaron Fox came out and said that, like, if I made the team, I'd have to play because I'd be fine if I didn't. It's a hefty fine. But I'm just, I'm not for this, man. I don't think we need this. I'm all for, let's name the all-stars, give them their flowers, give them their cred when they that they deserve, but let them be home with the family for five days, you know, let them chill out and relax. We also don't need, you know, 20 of our best NBA players coming down with contact tracing and catching this shit. And then for whatever reason, you know, you know, teams, teams go 14 days without their best players. And next thing you know, Orlando second in the East winning, you know, about to, about to compete for a championship. I'm, I'm not for this. How do you feel about it? I really don't understand why the NBA is forcing this issue other than the fact that Adam Silver is actively looking at their bottom line financially this season as, as you know, almost a quarter of the way, mostly a quarter of the way through the season and is saying we actually need an influx of revenue. Like this is something that we need, like, you know, their projections may have been one thing and they may be, you know, significantly under those projections uh, that they were hoping to to see on the revenue side of things right now. And they're and they're going, look, this is how we can recoup a significant amount of, of revenue. We can have a day that's dedicated to the NBA. We can have, uh, you know, a lot of sponsorships and et cetera, et cetera. 
but clearly it, this is at the sake of player safety, something that Adam Silver has been saying that he's, you know, taking as a top priority. But I don't think those two things can be truthful at the same time. You can't have an all-star game during a pandemic and then also say that you're focused on player safety because those two things just do not mesh. They don't meld together. Um, the, the point that you make is obviously a very valid one. All of the top players in the NBA are going to be in one spot. And all it takes is one person, one staff member, one, you know, one, one person who's there who talks to somebody before a game, after a game, uh, if there's going to be fans there, uh, Atlanta is already hosting fans in their arena. As we saw with Corside Karen the other night with running her mouth at LeBron and her husband. Um, so like all it takes is one of those things to happen. And the likelihood of one of those things happening is ridiculously high. Um, so I just, I just don't get it. I don't get why they're forcing it. I can understand the financial ramifications. Um, but it, it, it is, it, LeBron said it, I, I was thinking the same thing. It's a slap in the face. Uh, in a shortened season with less recovery time, you also have to worry about injuries as well. It's not just the COVID thing. I mean, obviously, the All-Star game is not necessarily the most competitive. You don't have guys running 100% of the time, of, you know, probably until the last five minutes of the fourth quarter. Um, but that injuries are still, you know, obviously a thing that can happen as well. And, you know, if you end up with a whole Eastern Conference that has to be sitting from for contact tracing after this, all the best players in the Eastern Conference, that's just completely unfair to their organizations and to the rest of the league. Like, that's just not okay. And, and to have the idea, like you mentioned, Orlando, like a team with no all-stars could very easily surge up the rankings if they're going against teams that have nine players or, you know, 11 players with their two best players sitting on, on the bench due to contact tracing from the all-star game. Um, I don't think it's necessary. I, I, I wish it wasn't happening. It's going to happen. I mean, it's not even, we're not even going to have to debate And we'll that be watching point. it. We will watch it, right? Of course we'll watch it. Yeah. There's no dunk contest. There is going to be a skills challenge, which is the boringest challenge of all. Right. But like you said, all it's going to take is one dude hitting up Magic City to get the Lemon Pepper Lou, the Lemon Pepper Wangs, yeah. and it's a wrap for everybody. So I think security is going to be really tight. We don't know if they're allowed to bring family members or how many people you can bring. Are they going to allow fans in there? I know everybody's going to travel privately. Like each player gets a private plane to go to Atlanta. I just, I thought it would have been better if they like chose Montana or something like choose somewhere where we could put these people for, for five days against their will that they don't want to be there, but it's a money grab. And we obviously the NBA, we needs to make money. So I get it. We're going to watch it, but you know who the real losers are in this situation, Drew, the people who are really going to miss out all-star weekend. Who is it? That's going to be the, the IG, the IG models. But this is this is the weekend where they thrive, right? They thrive. Every hotel is popping, you know, in Atlanta. Are you kidding me? The place would be wild, but they're really missing out on a good lucrative weekend. So I'm sorry to you, IG models. Well, I have to believe that part of the reason that Atlanta was the site that they chose is because they are allowing fans. I think fans will be there. And I mean, it depends on on the level of IG. Uh, status, I suppose these models, the, the middle uh, level of, of status IG model is not going to make it. You have to be elite. You have to be, they're not going to make the all-star team. They're not making the all-star team. It's the all-star team for the fans as well. I think right. that that's true. It's the all-star team for the, the NBA, but the, 
you know, the IG models, they also must be all-stars. You're not, you're not skirting in there if you're, uh, you know, PJ Tucker-ish level of IG model. <laughs> hey, how does Clay, how does Clay Thompson get a hundred thousand votes too? I'm so like, <laughs> I, I hate NBA all-star voting. I really do. Yeah. I, I, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, it, it, it's maybe a hundred thousand people that don't know that he's been injured for two seasons. <laughs> like I just don't, I don't get, uh, or it's just, you know, it's just people that are just saying like, fuck you. Like the, the trolls, it, the right. trolls in the world that are just doing that just cause, um, but you know, they even have, I think the warriors have a strong fan base because Wiggins is in the all-star running right now. Canadian which, though, Drew, he's Canadian. There's a lot of people in Canada. Yeah, Canada as well. That's true. That is true. Uh, but the, yeah, I, the Clay Thompson voting, I don't, it can't be explained. I'm all for Clay Thompson being a sideline reporter, though, because he did so well in the game the other night with with at the Golden State game against uh, they were they were playing because there was beef, the Rodney Magruder beef. Do you remember this? Oh, Detroit, yeah, Detroit. That's who the game was against. Clay was really good and funny though, and I'd be so down to lighten up All Star Weekend and have him there. But yeah, I want to let's talk about that for a second because he did throw major shade at Rodney and Rodney's a former Clipper and he, he, he's a lunch pail, hard hat kind of guy, great teammate. And I, I don't know what transpired or who he went, who Rodney actually went at, but clay was, you know, if we're going to give Shaq all this, you know, uh, bad publicity for calling out Donovan Mitchell on live TV, like we kind of got to go at clay for calling out, his brother, his NBA brother and saying, Oh, well, he'll be out of the league in a year. Why is he even talking like all that stuff? And he didn't get a lot of flack for that. Well, it's cause it's Rodney Magruder and not Donovan Mitchell, right? Like that's, I think that's the bigger and obviously Shaq's stage uh, on TNT is a much bigger stage than what Clay, Clay said it, you know, what to like the local reporter or like he was he like on Instagram or something. I don't know. No, he was, was doing it for the TV station, which was kind of, yeah. Cool. yeah. I just, Look, Clay's Clay's always a loyal dude. He's never what like in that instance when somebody doesn't matter who it is, Rodney McGruder or Donovan Mitchell, anybody. If your team, if if one of those guys is starting to shit with your teammate, Clay's one of those guys that's always going to back his teammate. And so I don't think it needs to be, you know, brought up that. I mean, because he's not also he's also not wrong. Like Magruder's having a really tough time in the NBA. So I don't know if he's completely off base by saying that he might be out of the league soon. I think that that's, you know, that's a possibility, but Magruder is also not a guy that I would want to like fuck with. I don't want to step to that guy. I, he looks like he can handle himself when it comes to those situations. Um, but look, I mean, there's, this, this is the best part about sports is shit talking. And sometimes it crosses the line into some physicality. Uh, but I'm also on that side of the things like I'm, you know, even pick up if someone I, that I don't even know is on my team, I'm going to be loyal to that guy. Right. If, if the other team is is starting some shit with him. So I don't know. I, I think that's part of the reason what we love Clay is because he's just, you know, he, he's riding for his. Did you see Big Baby go at Clay after the game, too? Yeah, and, I, and yeah I did. He said some foul words, too, man. He was like, see, that's karma. That's why you stay hurt. And I'm like, ouch, that was. That's fucked up. And it's also wrong. Like Clay hasn't been injured ever until this, the, the finals two years ago. So a uh, big baby is, um, I, a big I think baby. He's, he's, yeah, big... he's doing, he's doing his best to stay relevant, but I don't think it's happening. 
Hey, somebody we, we got to show love to right now. And, you know, just being with, uh, you know, having so many conversations with our Dishes and Dimes girls on basketballnews.com um, who cover the Toronto Raptors. They do a great job of doing it. And I've just been talking and listening to so much Toronto stuff. And it's it, it's weird how how much I've been watching them. Anyways, Fred Van Vliet went off Toronto Raptors record the other night. 17 for 23 field goals, 11 for 14 threes, 9 for 9 from the free throw line, 54 points. That boy went off. It was the most points scored by an undrafted player, and I think we just got to give him some shine right now. Yeah, that was a hell of a a performance. Um, He's not been playing that well, uh, as as the the rest of the Raptors also – for the majority of the season, they're starting to, they're starting to kick it back up into gear. I think they have nine wins now. Uh, I think they're in 10th, 10th or the 11th seed in the East. So we do expect them to continue that path and, and, you know, realize the form that they had as recent as last season. It can't, not enough can be said about the fact that they're living in Florida and the Toronto Raptors or the Tampa Bay Raptors like that to me is, it has to be one of the toughest things a sports franchise has had to do, like literally move. It's not like they moved to, Buffalo, you know, and then they can drive over the border and, and still live in their houses. Um, or uh, maybe that's too far Buffalo to Toronto, but you know, you get what I'm saying. Like yeah. they didn't just like pop over into the U S they flew all the way fucking down to Florida. They're so they're thousands of miles away from their homes. Uh, that has to be the oddest thing ever. And it's no surprise that they're off to a ridiculous time at this point. I mean, it's, it's reflective in their play. Um, as we've seen, at, like I mentioned, Fred had a great game in that game, uh, but their whole team has struggled to score. Um, and there has to be something to do with the fact that they're just like, they're like in a foreign country. They, they were like refugees. They're just not even, you know, they're staying at some hotel or something. Like, I just don't know how, how we can expect them to do anything until they get back uh, home to Toronto. So shout out to them for, for pulling it together and, and, you know, the most trying time that an NBA franchise has ever had. And they've been, um, they were, they had to go a month earlier too to Tampa. So they, they've been there for a minute, you know? And so we got to ease off on Toronto slander, you know, Raptor slander for right now. They've definitely had the hardest time. You know, who's having a hard time. Drew is my boy, Blake Griffin. Okay. <laughs> he, he Hercules, his Jersey the other night, the frustration's real. It's sad to see. I love Blake, and we're going to get into DJ here when we talk Clippers in a second. But just seeing how, just how they're not the same player anymore. And I know Blake is can still contribute, and I want him to be in a situation where he can contribute. He deserves to be in a better situation. But then when you look at the contract, it's guaranteed thirty six this year, guaranteed thirty six next year. I just don't know how you trade that contract or put him in a better situation. Right. I, and it's difficult, right? The, the amount of money, that's the hardest part, right? So you got to hope for Blake, if you're a fan of Blake, um, that, that he can come to some sort of buyout with Detroit and then, you know, essentially be a free agent. But that is so much money that the, you know, the buyout would have to be significant or Blake would have to take a relatively significant hit and not, you know, and, you know obviously not get as much money. But I, it's just really hard to trade for that guy, especially when he looks like, you know, a completely different player. Um, two seasons ago, I we talked about it in our, a couple of pods ago, but two seasons ago, he was great. Mm-hmm. And then now you look at him right, you know, during this year and you're like, man, I don't even know. He might retire at the end of this year or next year. Obviously the frustration is setting in, you know, losing night and night after night 
is has to be one of the most difficult things for guys that are just not used to doing that. I mean, consider what Blake has done his whole life. He's, he's been probably the best player on every team he's ever been on. And all those teams had success and, and to, you know, some form or fashion had winning records without a doubt all the way through his time with the Clippers. And then he sat here in Detroit and it's a whole nother situation there. Uh, they have Dwayne Casey as a head coach, who's a great head coach. I mean, we've seen him do really good things in, in previous stops, especially with Toronto. Um, but it's just not, it's not translating into wins at all for Detroit right now. Uh, so, I mean, I've been, I've been thinking about it too, cause I know we keep bringing him up. It's just, it is kind of shocking how fast it's happening his deterioration. But as I'm sitting here, I'm like, why won't Washington try and get Blake? Mm. Like, but I do think the biggest hurdle in any team, Washington or others that might want Blake, like Oklahoma city, the Oklahoma boy is the amount of money they got to pay this man. So I do think the best way for him to get somewhere else is to, is to seek some sort of buyout, which is difficult to do with two years on a contract and $72 million coming your way. And not playing well either. <laughs> that on top of that. Exactly. Right. Some uh, one dude that's been playing really well. We've been talking about him all season. Christian Wood. He went down last night uh, with an ankle injury that did not look good. I was in the middle of a clubhouse and everybody in the clubhouse room was like, no, no, mm. not Christian. Well, he got taken off on a wheelchair. I don't uh, know. Did you see it or no? I missed it. He tried to walk off, but I guess everybody that was trying to carry him off was too small. So they had to put him in like in a wheelchair. Um, but he's been playing so well. Definitely the guy that was looking at most improved player this season um, so far. And that just sucks for the Rockets. Uh, I'm, I'm sad for him. I hope it's nothing crazy. But even if it's a even if it's a severe sprain, you're looking at, you know, six weeks four four six weeks. Um, which isn't going to be uh, be good for Houston. So, uh, yeah, that sucks because Houston was the number one defense since the Harden trade. They've been the number one. Defense isn't that crazy in, in the NBA since the Harden trade? I mean, it's not shocking, right? Amazing <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you play team defense, right? Well, and then they also have less firepower on offense, right? So you don't have that slow it down guy who's just going to eat the clock. And and I mean. So that really, that does suck. I mean, at least they have DeMarcus Cousins there, who's probably not ready to play, you know, 35, 40 minutes a game yet. But I, I hope he, yeah, I hope you're right. I hope it's not, I hope it's not a long time that he's out because they are, they were fun and they were really starting to hit stride. Players of the month were announced. Players of the month and rookies of the month were announced. Two centers made player of the month with Joker and Embiid, your boy Embiid. And it's just, it's crazy to look at Joker's numbers, dude. 26, 11.8, and 8.6 for the Joker, which is just crazy for a center, right? That, yeah. can, bar that can barely move. And then Embiid is 28.3 and 11, playing the best basketball of his career. They're very well-deserved for that. Denver's finally kind of catching on right now. Like, they're kind of heating up a little bit. Philly looks nice, but shout-out to both of them. Um, rookies of the month were Halliburton and LaMelo as they should be. LaMelo is so fun to watch. They are definitely, you know, league pass all-stars to turn on and watch. And then there was a, there was a weird or not a weird, but a random trade offer that I saw on Instagram where they're like, yo, they should give up Rozier and just put the ball brothers together, which I think would be awesome. It'd be great for the Hornets. And maybe Lonzo will turn into the player that we think he could turn into playing with his brother that he's been playing with his whole life. But what do you think about that? Could that, do you think that could happen or no? Well, it's, I mean, it's been said that the Pelicans are shopping actively, Lonzo and JJ. Um, and I see the intrigue. I get it. Like, I think it would be fun to have the Ball brothers together. 
um, in Charlotte, but Rozier's too good for that. He's not, he's a, he's better than those guys. Like that would be a terrible trade in my opinion, especially with how good he has been playing this season. I know that he's been out a little bit uh, with a, with a recent injury. Uh, so LaMelo got to start in one of the games uh, and had a great game. But when you have a, a team like Charlotte and Rozier is getting paid a, a decent amount of money, but it's not astronomical, right? It's he's 19. The- I think it's 19 million. <clears throat> So, yeah, he's not even into the 20s or the 30s, which is so many contracts are that massive. This is what a broke, he, dude. Well, no, no, but it, it's a relatively tradable contract is what I'm saying. And I don't think, you know, Charlotte is not in a desperate spot here. They're, they're playing well. They are exciting. Like you said, league, league pass all-stars for sure. Uh, they're, they're, they have to be the most exciting team that's not necessarily in that championship contending tier uh, to watch. And LaMelo is fantastic out there. He, he's playing so well. Hey, him and Bridges uh, is a good is a good uh, combo. I like them a lot. Yeah, and I and I do. I think Rozier is fitting in nicely when he's playing, and you can have Lamelo play with him. Uh, you know, uh, if Lamelo's coming off the bench. Uh, to me, the trade, if they want to do it, if they really want to bring Lonzo in, it's it's try and package De- uh, Devonte Graham in there. Try and try and give Devonte Graham and you know one other player that, you know, might be on the, you know, like one of the Martin twins or something like that, put those two together and then try and get Lonzo and JJ and slide that that way. Because I don't think I would not give up Rozier at this point for as much money as you're paying him. It's, I think he's deserving of that money at this point. He's playing that well. And I just, I like that better, but I, I also, th- I hope Lonzo can, can be a player. Right? Cause I, yeah. it's hard for me to argue that he's a better player than his rookie brother at this point. Like to me, it seems like LaMelo is already a better NBA player than Lonzo. And that's not good. Cause Lonzo. Is that a hot take? Is that a hot, that- is that a hot take or is that really what you think? No, I, I think that's the truth. I mean, when you watch them play, LaMelo just has this air of confidence that Lonzo does not have. If Lonzo is a hell of a basketball player, I honestly think he can be, you know, a uh, he might be a, like one of those defensive point guards that we don't have, but has a significant value. And then obviously his passing is is amazing. But like the offensive confidence that Lamelo exhibits every time he's on the floor, every time he touches the ball, it's like he can do whatever he wants. Lonzo has zero of that, and I think that is something that uh, I've talked about before. But that is. I think it's a, it's a huge difference that it shows up in their games uh, where LaMelo is playing free. I mean, yeah, he might turn the ball over and he might not be playing any defense. Uh, and honestly, if you could combine Lonzo and Melo together, you would have one fucking hell of an NBA player. You'd have Jello, right? Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Jello. Exactly. I think, it, I think it's funny that Bismack and LaMelo have become BFFs. It's such a strange combo. But I think it's funny that they became BFFs. And now that I'm thinking about it, like, what if Melo was in Lonzo's situation in the Pelicans? Like, how how good would the Pelicans be with the way that this guy plays? Which I think that's what that's how they want Lonzo to be playing. And we've talked about him for three years now. Like, it just seems like he can't figure it out. He doesn't take it to the rack anymore. He's pretty much just shooting. You'd think that he'd be thriving playing with a guy like Zion and with and with Ingram but maybe it's the coaching maybe they don't have the right coach maybe they're not they're trying to you know hold hold Lonzo back a little bit I don't know what it is I guess at this point the only way to look at it is that Van Gundy and uh, you know the front office have decided that Bledsoe is a better you know point guard for them than Lonzo which is frustrating and I do think it's a little short-sighted because Lonzo is the guy that once he just like the way that LaMelo and Bridges play, I definitely think that Lonzo and Zion can do that for sure. 
right. So that's the that's the 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 tough part for me is that Bledsoe is good. We know he's a good point guard, but he's probably he's got to be at least thirty or close to thirty at this point. Bledsoe does, and Zoe is still very young. Um, and his passing ability is elite. He, Lonzo is an elite passer, and I think he's a, a, a very good defender in the same way that I think Bledsoe is a very good defender. Obviously, Bledsoe's more polished offensively, but I just think, you know, if you have this future, Ingram's so young, Zion's so young, Jackson Hayes is young. They have a, they have a nice young team. Why not keep that? And Lonzo is not, I mean, he's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. So maybe that's why they're, they're out already and they're trying to trade him because they don't think they're going to resign him to some sort of free agent deal. They didn't extend him. Um, but I don't, I just don't know why you wouldn't at least give that a try for longer than the first, you know, 20 games of a season uh, with this new organization and, and coach. So both of our teams went on their longest road trip of the season. It's normally, what do we normally call it in LA? It's the Academy Awards trip or what is it? When they do the Oscars, is it the Oscar road trip when we have the Oscars at Staples? Yeah, I think that's for the East Eastern Coast team, like the like East Coast teams, like Boston's on their West Coast swing right now. That's true. And and but yeah, for us it's I always call it the rodeo road trip because you know, you just you're riding around everywhere like you're like you're in a circus or a rodeo. Well, you wanted five and two for the Lakers. You got five and two for the Lakers. Uh, there was one disappointing game against Detroit, but what was your take on on the whole the whole road trip? That's a good road trip. The loss that was that was regrettable was the Detroit loss, but that had everything to do with the game right before that, the previous day's game against Philadelphia, and what was I think one of the best games of the season thus far. And really, you know, I think about the losses that we have uh, on a whole this season, the Lakers, and I, I think Philadelphia is the first team that truly beat us. Um, and what I mean by that is in the previous losses outside of the Philly one and the opening day one against the Clippers, it was mental lapses that allowed that the Lakers had that allowed the opponents to get back in the game or, or to close it out and win one um, against, you know, Portland and San Antonio and some of the other losses that we've had have been like just us not focusing. Uh, but in this game, Philly was bringing it uh, and Bede played really, really well. Um, and they caught us on a night where we couldn't hit the broadside of a barn for about eight minutes at the back end of the third quarter, early fourth. Uh, but the way that we closed out that game, I think, was also really important because we went on a 13-0 run to tie it up to get it to get to the you know the finish line there. And then they ended up with a really good play, um, and Tobias Harris hits the nice jumper over Caruso. They definitely got to- the shot they wanted on that. They, they worked that play out perfectly to get Caruso to be guarding Toby on that one. Yeah. And I, to be honest, like their matchup for us is problematic, not just Embiid as I've, I've talked about in the past, but Embiid's uh, impact was, was very visible. Gasol got into foul trouble early. Uh, AD got into some foul trouble and then we had to go to Trez and other options to try and, you know, stop Embiid. And we just don't have any real matchup for him unless Gasol can stay out of foul trouble. But even with Gasol, Embiid is just too big and too quick and too strong, uh, even for Gasol. Like Gasol five years ago, I think would have done a, a fantastic job against them. But Gasol now, he doesn't have that, you know, that reserve. So I, and not only that, but Simmons and Harris are problems for us defensively as well because you know even though Simmons doesn't take a lot of shots, if LeBron is guarding him, he can, you know, move freely without the ball, and they're setting off-ball screens for him to get slashes to the basket and dunks. So he had like one of his highest point totals of the season in that game. And then Tobias, 
you know, he's just big. Like, he, you know, for the small forward position, he is tall. And we don't really have anybody on our t- on our team that can match that. Like, we're always going to have a shorter guy out there on him for the most part because we don't have Danny Green anymore who would have been – who is on that Philadelphia 76ers team who would have been the guy that we would have had on Tobias. So um, I really enjoyed watching that game. I think that loss was really important for the Lakers to take. Uh, I think we felt good about the way that we played at the, you know, when, when you look at it, it's like, man, we probably should have lost that game by, you know, 15 or 20 points. Right. But the fact that we fought back, we went on that run. We really thought we were going to win that game. And then Tobias, it's a, you know, a relatively tough shot. I, I, I would, I, it's an easy shot. I mean, that was cash, he, but he hits a good shot. They had to earn that shot and they got the win. And then of course, you know, you go, you go the next day, you got the hangover for sure after that game. And then you just, you're not, you're not mentally there against Detroit and then you go bang bang two losses in a row uh but five and two was what I was hoping for we beat Milwaukee we beat Boston um you know we beat all these other teams that we needed to beat and that Philly loss I think will be important as we look forward uh, to a potential matchup with them in the finals and the other potential matchup was what everybody was looking for was the Clippers Nets game everybody was watching that game we did well on the road trip as well we 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 took one L but that Clippers Nets game was something special, man. And it's so funny because again, I was on it. We were doing a live session on Clubhouse. If you guys aren't on Clubhouse yet, I got I think I have five more invites. We run, we do these watch parties that are pretty fun. My my handle is Clips Shocking, if you want to follow. But I, I love doing these rooms. So I did it live with about a hundred other people. And it was just funny because literally the defense in the first quarter by the Nets was tragic. Like Paul George. Crip walked to the paint and dunked like three times. It was so interesting to me. And and we were up quick. I think we were up like, like 13 to two at one point. I'm like, Oh, we're going to blow them out. But the, the, the fact, the scoring, the scoring firepower that, that the nets have right now is, is just amazing. Kyrie had 39 Harden 23, KD 28. Uh, it was 124, 120. Uh, the nets won. I was a little pissed off that, Paul George only got to the line once. I, I'm still upset about it because he was drawing contact and James Harden was doing the same shit and, and he was getting all the calls. But um, other than that, Kyrie was just beautiful to watch that game. And Reggie Jackson was in his butt the whole time. Like he was trying to guard him as well as he could, but Kyrie was just so nice. Oh, yeah. I mean, the that game really put on highlight how how potent the Nets are offensively. And obviously how terrible they are defensively. Uh, but something I took away from that myself was that the, that the Clippers defense wasn't as strong as I had expected it to be. Now, the level of shot making in that game was probably the reason why I, you know, was a little down on the Clippers defense because, you know, you, you can be as good a defender as you possibly can, but Mike and, you know, Michael Jordan's still going to hit that shot with the hand in his face. And I think, you know, KD, Kyrie, James Harden all have that capability of, you know, the best defense doesn't matter. I'm still going to get my shot off and most likely it's going to go in. Um, so, but I do think, you know, it's very obvious with the way that the nets are, are currently constructed that no team is ever out of a game that they're playing against the nets. You can, they can go up by 20 at one stage and, you know, even in the fourth quarter with, you know, two, three minutes left, you're down by 10. You really don't think you, you should not give up on that game because all it takes is a couple misses from those shots that they're taking. And, and granted, a lot of those are going in, right. but it just two misses 
And you can if you can secure those rebounds because they don't have much rebounding offensively or defensively, and you get two buckets in a row, and then boom. I mean, they just can't stop anybody. So, you know, as you look to the future with the Nets and we you go, you go, wow, this offense is unbeatable. But in a seven-game series, that doesn't always play out like that. You can start understanding offensive trends and you can start reacting a lot differently defensively. And I think unless they can, you know, get that center and, you know, I, I know that they signed Iman, Sh- uh, Iman Shumpert as well. Uh, if they can get some more defensive presence uh, and some rebounding help, then they're going to be next level. But right now they're still very much vulnerable. Um, and I honestly thought the Clippers had a legitimate chance at winning the game, especially like to, to my point to start the game, the Nets were breaking every shot. So all it takes is in the fourth quarter for that to happen to them again, just a, just a few possessions of them missing shots that they might normally hit. And boom, you're you're in the lead. Like, yeah, but on the, on the other side of that, though, it was like Clippers were up seven with like four minutes to go. And like we missed two shots in a row, then wop, 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 they're up 13. That's how fast they can get back in the game. So, you know, I guess it's it's any given night. Like, what do you want? Are we like, do are they going to put up 140 points? They could. They could every single night put up 140 points, but they're not guarding anything. And to what you were saying about the Clippers defense, Going to our next game, we played Cleveland, who I really like. I enjoyed watching these guys. I know we had Spencer Davies, who covers um, the Cavaliers, who's a part of our family at basketballnews.com, and we talked about him at length with him. But defensively – or excuse me, yeah, defensively, they looked really good. They were super energetic. They, you know, didn't take one play off. They played as a team. It it was sex land that just went off, Drew – they absolutely went off. It was 22 for 39 in the paint, right? They kept just getting past whatever Clipper defender that was there and had floaters, Mark Jackson floaters all day. And I was texting Spencer while this was going on. I'm like, yo, if if DG gets one more floater in the paint, I'm going to lose my shit. And um, it's weird having two, your backcourt being two guys like under 6'2 that are running the show for you, but they, they went off. I really enjoyed them. I think that there is a future for them. I mean, we won by 20 because Paul George was eight for nine, three pointers. He went absolutely bonkers. Like he's been doing all season, but I, I, I enjoy watching the cat. I think it's pretty surprising that the Clippers are not as good defensively as I think they should be with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Ibaka and Patrick Beverly, who has been out for a little while, all being the defensive players that they can be like, that's a really solid defensive team when you think about it. And Batum is no slouch. He's super long. um, And you got some relatively good defensive players on the bench as well. To me, I do think when I watch the Clippers, occasionally there is those, those, those plays and those moments in each quarter where they just don't seem to care too much defensively. Um, And I know that that doesn't always just mean uh, the whole team isn't doing it. It can just be, one guy just goes, ah, you know, I'm not going to hustle to that rotation or I'm not going to, you know, switch appropriately. And I think that has to be something like if, if we're going to talk about the Clippers really making a run and, and, you know, being able to beat everybody in the West, they have to be much more solid defensively against everyone that they play. And I hope that's something that they can build towards uh, because when, when you think about the Clippers and, and the way that they're 
their roster is, they should be better defensively. So that's something I definitely want to watch for and see if they can actually pull that together a little bit and be a little bit higher in that net rating defensively. I think you guys are somewhere in like the middle of the pack for the NBA. And I just, I think with, with that level of talent, you should definitely be in the top 10, top five. I com- uh, I, com- <clears throat> I completely agree with you. And it's a cause for concern. And I'm just hoping that th- it was addressed after that game. Cause if they saw the same shit I saw, like, look, Sexton and Garland, you can get three or four of those, but once you once you are hitting that consistently, we need to adjust. And we're not going to let this little guy come into the lane and do yet another floater on us. You know, it definitely needs to be um, needs to be addressed. And I hope it will. We play Boston tonight, and I hope it is addressed. Fun funny thing about after that Cleveland game, and I don't know if you know this, Drew, but Jared Dudley came out with a book. Okay, inside the NBA bubble, if anybody had time to write. A book, it's probably Jared Dudley. And he had some remarks for Paul George that I found very interesting. And my guy, Tomara Zarli, NBA, or excuse me, Clippers beat writer for Clutch Points, been a friend of mine for a while. He gives me the scoop whenever I need a, a scoop that I can't get from the Clippers. Asked Paul George and Ty Lu both what they thought about the remarks, the comments about the book, and their answers were priceless. So Jared Dully had a book out, um, a little mini book, and I'm just going to get right to the quote. It says, a book. yeah, I know, right? Jared uh, Dudley? Uh, God bless him. Uh, God bless you, Jared Dudley. Um, I don't know what it is. Uh, dudes love throwing my name and stuff, but uh, God bless you, Jared. So I thought it'd be a good idea to bring my boy on the show. So I did a quick little interview with him regarding his thoughts, like everything that I've been th- feeling and Clipper Nation has been feeling. I ask him these questions, and I think you guys will really enjoy his responses. This is pure Clipper talk, but you guys will enjoy. All right, Clipper Nation. So we are lucky enough to have my boy Tomer Azarli with us. Stoked that you're here, brother. Thank you for having me, Clips. I'm, I'm, I've been a fan of you and some of the, you know, the shows that you guys have, have had. I've listened to a couple of them, and um, you know, you've been a longtime follower of mine. We've talked before, so uh, it's good to finally uh, join your show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You too, Drew. You too. I'll thank you as well. <laughs> hey, it's a pleasure. You know, uh, Tomer, you're you're the guy I go to when I don't have the scoop with Clippers, and I'll hit you up randomly <laughs> sometimes, like, "Yo, what's up with Pat Bev's knee? Can I get the scoop? Like, is there really <laughs> drama in the locker room?" And you always give it to me, so I appreciate it. Um, so the quote from the book is, this is from Jared Dudley's book inside the NBA bubble. We hear some of those guys talking about how they're the team to beat in LA. It's fine. If Kawhi says stuff like that, he's defending a championship. We don't trip. If someone like Patrick Beverly is talking trash, that's how he feeds his family. We get it. We respect the hustle, but we think it's disrespectful for Paul George, who hasn't won, to put himself on the level of Braun and AD. This motivates us. When you first heard that, what did you think? Uh, I mean, Jared Dudley follows me on Twitter, but, you know, if he hears this, he hears this. I was just like, when's the last time Jared Dudley played a game? I don't remember. Like, I don't remember when the last time he played was. Um, That was my first thought. And second, I was just like, I asked PG um, a couple weeks ago when the Devin Booker stuff happened, Devin Booker and CP, the Suns game. I was like, why are people going at you? Like, and what has that done to you? And he's just like, honestly, I have no idea why. Like, He's like, I think I had a down year last year and everyone was just taking advantage of that and really trying to bounce and, and capitalize off that, make a name for themselves. Um, 
it's weird because I, I'm starting to think there might be something like behind closed doors because uh, Paul George is a really good player. I mean, I don't think he's done any more trash talking than, you know, another superstar has. And I think everyone tr- talks to a certain level of trash. You have to be, you have to have a certain level of confidence to be in the NBA. First of all, mm-hmm. um, a certain level of, you know, cockiness and confidence. Um, there's a good balance of it. So I don't think, I don't think Paul George has been overconfident or, or super cocky or anything like that. I just think, you know, um, when LeBron joined the heat, what did he say? Not one, not two, not three. Um, and they only ended up winning two. No, two is, is a good amount, but I don't think PG said anything like that. Uh, when he came here to the Clippers, he just said it's going to be a hell of a duo to deal with. And it is. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are a hell of a two-way two, two uh, duo here. They, they can lock down defensively. Um, they can give you 30, 40 some nights. So uh, I just didn't understand where this was coming from and why it came out. Like, I don't remember him saying anything. I, I covered the Clippers throughout the bubble all of last year. I, I I have every single video press conference listed, and I've gone through the quotes. And I'm just like, where did PG said where the, say we're the kings of L.A.? Mm-hmm. And... Um, this is our town, and and I just didn't understand where it was coming from. Honestly, it just felt like uh, PG had a down year. Let's just keep you know beating a dead horse and kicking him while he's down, and it just it didn't make sense to me as all. Well. I just didn't understand where it was coming from. So to backtrack on what you said, Jared Dudley has three points this season. Paul George had thirty six <laughs> last night. So you know, hearing it from hearing it from Jared Dudley is tough. And one of the most the 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 most asked question I get, whether it's in clubhouse or the DM is people hate Paul George for whatever reason. And I spend so much time defending him like you, I I've seen nothing. And if it's, if it goes back to the bubble and the Dame stuff, like, okay. So he was talking shit to Dame. Dame talks a lot of shit all the time. So Paul George can't like, but the I thing want- is that was an accident too. That Dame stuff was an accident because he thought Dame thought that PG was talking crap about him during the missed free throws. It was just Pat Bev and Lou. Like PG wasn't even involved. So it was an accident that that all started. And then they got the Instagram comment back and forth. And I think their why his wife and Dame's sister got into it. And it was all an accident. So like I, I just it's just it's just all unnecessary. It's just, I don't know where I don't understand it. Um, yeah, I, I, just, I just don't know where it comes from. There's a lot of, like, Devin Booker, for example. Um, again, certain level of cockiness that you have to have, but what, what do you need to go at Paul George for? Like, what, what did he do? I, I don't understand. I just don't get it. I don't personally get it. I, you know, and a lot of people always ask me about, you know, how we underperformed in the bubble, and we did, and, and, and you oh, know, yeah. it, you know, it started with Lou going to Magic City, and then Trez had his issues, Um, and then obviously Paul George came out and said he was depressed and which he probably was. And he had a, he had a bad performance in the bubble and people are holding that over our heads so much. And I find, I took it as like, dude, I know Paul George is listening to everything these guys are saying. And now that he's healthy and coming out shooting at a clip that is just ridiculous, 50.8% field goal, almost 48% from three, 90, 90% at the free throw line. Like this guy's killing, but we're still going to talk about the bubble, right? I mean, it's it's funny because when we had the um, the media day style interviews to start the season, um, everyone said the bubbles in the past. We moved on. It's no longer in our minds. We just got to move, you know, learn from it and, and progress. And still there are people who come on these these Zoom interviews and just ask like about last season. And I'm just like, they've already said they moved on. Have you not moved on? Right. Like, are you are you angling at something here? Because they say they've moved on. Uh, and this has happened multiple times by pretty prominent writers. Mm-hmm. Um, now I get everyone has their angle. I, I understand that, but some of these are just the same questions being asked um, over and over again. Um, I, I think people forget that PG really had a good nugget series defensively. 
Um, he's, he's being paid to be a two-way star. We know that. He didn't perform offensively the way uh, they needed him to most for a lot of that series. Uh, he did have a couple big games, and he shut down Jamal Murray for six of the seven games. He had maybe, I think, like a 25-point game somewhere in that series before he went off for 40 in the game seven. But by that time, it was kind of – I mean, entering game seven, I thought there was no chance the Clippers were winning that game. I thought it was done. And so Jamal, Jamal Murray going off for 40 was sort of like the cherry on top. It was already done. Um, and so I just – I think the Clippers have moved on from the bubble. I think they, they've needed to. Um, I think, you know, with, with Ty Lue at the helm now, they've got someone who uh, – I've been impressed with how much he uh, emphasizes their offensive keys, which are focusing on mismatches, um, getting mismatches and, and capitalizing off of them. Um, you know, pushing the pace. Like we thought, we thought they were playing a little too fast against the Nets. And Tyloo was like, nope, I thought we should have played even faster, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which impressed me. I didn't, I didn't know that he thought they could play fat faster than that. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know what the, the original starting point of this uh, answer was, but uh, I think it was the bubble. But um, yeah, I think they've just left, left the bubble in the past, moved on from it. Um, and I, I think that's how it should be. It was just a, a one-off kind of experience. It's, it's something we've never seen before ever in the history of sports. And so um, I, I think that probably has something to do with it. But uh, look, PG, like you said, he's 50, 40, 90 this year. He's been a machine for most of the se- most of the season outside of maybe that like that that Mavs game that was a 51 point loss. But outside of that, the Clippers have been incredible this year. I don't think people have given him credit because everyone keeps going back to the bubble. So. Yeah. And, and a lot of people hate I, I, this. Is the first season ever I've had as a 30-year Clipper fan where I've never, I never knew there were this many Clipper haters in the world, you know, before they wouldn't even acknowledge us. And now everybody, they can't <laughs> stand, they can't, they love it when we lose. Right. And I, I tell Drew this all the time. Like when, when we blew it in the bubble, it, 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 it was great for our podcast because people love to hear how I feel about it when we blow right. it. Cause they love to, they love to hear the pain, you know, but you were completely right. Like this, Clipper team is completely different from last year um, coaching oh, yeah. wise even the offense that you were saying like the way that we're working it inside out the amount of open shots that we're getting which is why Nick Batum and, and Pat who's shooting really well too and Luke who's shooting really well um, they're getting all these open shots what do you see that's different about this team than last year's team I think a lot of it is is time spent together um I personally like. I love Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers helped me when I started covering the Clippers, um, really incorporating me into it. Like he didn't, he gave me you know light answers, kept it kept it cool and funny and friendly. And uh, Doc Rivers, I'll be forever thankful to because he you know not only got the Clippers through a very tough time, uh, but he, he helped me integrate me into into the media world, which I was completely you know I came in from scratch, didn't know anything. Um, I just think Doc Rivers was a little stubborn and he did have a tough decision to make with, uh, with Montrez Harrell, you know, contract year, a lot of money on the line. Um, but I just thought there was zero reason that Montrez Harrell should have been playing as much as he was during the regular season, mm-hmm. not even just the playoffs during the regular season, his minutes were cut down significantly in the playoffs, which I, I did think was, was good. But, um, you know, we, we talked about the adjustments. Um, there weren't a lot of adjustments made in the bubble. Uh, I, I don't think, um, while they had great season, I don't think the Clippers utilized Kawhi and PG the way um, they should have been, which is like this this year, which is 
you know, Ty Lewis said that he's thrown uh, a lot of Chicago offense type sets with, with uh, you know, the ones that the, the Bulls use for Jordan and the ones that Lakers use for Kobe throwing um, Kawhi in the mid, mid to high post um, and letting him operate out of there. Um, you know, if they double team, kick it out, just just attacking the paint, basically. Uh, and letting, letting PG uh, play more as a pick and roll ball handler. I mean, the, the guy's a fantastic passer. We've seen his playmaking just skyrocket this year. Both of them are averaging career highs and assists. Um, PG is still struggling with turnovers a bit, but yesterday he had a really good one. No turnovers, six assists, and 36 points. So we're seeing progress there. We're seeing progress on that end. And I think the biggest adjustment has just been the emphasis on attacking the paint and, and really getting inside and forcing teams to either collapse on you or just play you one-on-one. And one-on-one, uh, guys like Kawhi and PG are going to score inside on you. Um, now, defensively, I think it's also been a, a big um, – a big jump. Uh, I personally was surprised when the Clippers, when, when Tyloo told us he was starting Ibaka over over um, Zubats. Mm-hmm. I thought uh, the bench could have used some more scoring, um, but that was also assuming Marcus would come back to the starting unit. Um, and so I've liked that Marcus told, came up to Ty and said, hey, I want to come off the bench. I thought that was huge. Oh. I didn't know he would actually do it, mm-hmm. but the fact that he did, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. They have more scoring off the bench now. They have more playmaking with the starting unit. Um, and then uh, Zubat's coming off the bench really solidified um, the inside defensively. Um, I, I think one of the things you saw last year was at the five spot, the Clippers just had no shooting outside of Jermichael Green. And even then he was a little undersized. They couldn't play him more than like 15, 20 minutes. Uh, with Serge there, you can really just close the game out with Zoo uh, and have five out lineup, or you can close the game. Oh, sorry, close the game out with Serge and have a five out lineup, or you can close the game out with Zoo like we've seen the last couple of games and just lock down the paint. Um, and so I think Ty is really taking advantage of the, the, the talents that these guys have, uh, their abilities, and use, use the best of it. Uh, that's, that's really what surprised me. I, I think um, starting Surge and, and, and benching Marcus, well, Marcus telling him I want to come off the bench, right. has been huge for the Clippers. I think so, too. And, and like just the value of having a guy like Ibaka – uh, who can stretch the floor so well, knock down the three rebounds, offensive rebounds can play defense. That's what we were lacking. Like, you know, Montrez couldn't shoot a three. I was sad when we lost Trez because I was under the impression that, yo, we're going to have to drop 90 million on this cat. And I don't think we can do that. So when we lost him to the Lakers, it hurt, but getting Ibaka and even getting Batum at the price we did and seeing how valuable both these guys are has been mm-hmm. huge. Um, I'm a little concerned with Lou right now. And I know he's hearing it. And I don't know if it's because, you know, if it's an age thing, Miles thing. I don't know if he feels a little threatened that Kennard and Reggie's playing so well right now. But I wanted to give him this whole road trip because the casual Clipper fans are already like, yo, we, let's get rid of him. We don't need Lou anymore. And I'm like, dude, Lou's won a lot of games for us. Like he's been yeah. – yeah, he's won more than lost more for us. And Lou is a – an instant bucket he has had where we should allow these players to have, you know, a down month or two, like they can, and if anybody can get out of it, it's going to be Lou. Uh, What do you, do you think he's just in a, in a weird funk right now? I mean, Lou is coming off, you know, he had the, uh, the hip soreness. I think he's still dealing with a bit of discomfort there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the other, I think it was after the Knicks game that we talked to him where he said that he's still dealing with, with a bit of discomfort there and really trying to work his way through it. And look, I mean, lose a, a scorer, and sometimes scorers just got to shoot their way out. I mean, they really just have to shoot their way out of it. There's no sort of. They have to shoot their way out of it. Um, that may take a game. That may take a week's worth of games. That may take a month's worth of games. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've seen Lou 
have a, a, a one for nine game entering the fourth and then light up in the fourth quarter before. So I'm not really concerned about Lou. I think um, I think the drop in production and usage for him is, is sort of by design. I think the Clippers don't want to overwork him right now. Um, I think they really want to get Lou Kennard more involved. Uh, they want to get Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson's been fantastic, by been the way. Great. Um, great. I think a lot of people were kind of worried about bringing him back as the backup point guard, but he's been nothing short of amazing outside of a couple of boneheaded decisions, which right. you can live with because he does so much good. Um, but I think Lou Williams is just, you just got to give it time. I, I'm not too worried about it right now. Um, he's also on a bargain deal. Uh, he said that if he goes anywhere else, he's not, he's probably going to retire right. as, after this. So uh, I think there's just a lot of factors that the Clippers are just like, he, he, you have to believe that he'll work his way out of it. I think Ty Lu believes that he'll work his way out of it. I think everyone else believes he's going to work his way out of it as well. And so um, I think you have to remember this is his first season without Montrezl Harrell. Right. Uh, and, and it's a different, it's a different look in terms of the attention that Harold drew in pick and rolls. Now you have Subots there um, who isn't as, you know, agile, but he, he, is, he is stronger. So um, I think that there are some things they're still working out with that second unit with, with Lou Williams. So he's trying him and Zubak are trying to run that pick and roll and Zub has, has a hard time catching those, you know, Montrez has really yeah. good hands. Uh, I, I love Zub. I'm a big fan of Zub. I mean, the, how young he is, how tall, how strong he is. I wish he can get a little more athletic vertically, but like, I think you can work on that. You know, <laughs> he's uh, he, Zub's Zou, talented, man. Zub's talented. Right. He's, he's I, a very good, talented guy. Yeah. Like one thing I've specifically noticed, I'm a big believer in watching the bench, right? Watching the bench, meaning like when, when players are making good plays, I like to see their reaction and see how they're going. And one thing, two things that were said last season is Kawhi needs to be more vocal and, um, uh, and PG needs to be more of, you know, our go-to guy at times, you know, and when I watching the bench, I see a lot of engagement with everybody. It looks like they're having a good time. Um, you know, Kawhi, I'm seeing talking a lot. I'm seeing a lot mm -hmm. of applause when people are doing things right. And that's what I've noticed because I didn't see a lot of that last year at all. And you can tell there were some some things going on internally that I didn't even really know about until post bubble. I didn't know there was some real beef in there at times, but that's what I've noticed. They look like they're having a lot more fun. And back to what you were saying about doc. The one thing I've noticed with Ty is like, even if we're up 20 and they, they knock off six in a row timeout, we're going to adjust, you know, we're not going to let the players run this down to eight. Let's, let's fix what's going wrong. And they do. And I love it. Even when they're up 25 and this happens, I love seeing the adjustments that Ty does. I think um, I'm not going to say last year's team didn't have fun. Cause I think they did. Okay. Uh, I think they, there was the level of enjoyment about it. You remember when, when PG and Kawhi came over, um, you know, Trezen and Pat were celebrating like crazy. Lou was celebrating. So I think there was a level of enjoyment there. I think it probably just, it didn't work out the way they wanted to. Um, unfortunately, there was a lot of it was just, um, you know, there were contracts at play and, and I guess a little bit of egos at stake as well. And just, um, I just don't think it was the right group. Um, you know, a mixture of the group, together and, and that happens sometimes you know you, you put a team together you don't know how they're going to work mm -hmm. um sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't um and so i think they re retooled pretty well um you bring in sergi baka who was um you know a good friend of Kawhi's. uh he, he's, he's a pretty funny guy himself um marcus resigned and he's been nothing but you know grateful for the clippers for for paying him and giving him what he earned so he's been willing to come off the bench nick batum we haven't talked about him yet but he's Huge. been fantastic he's he's honestly he's honestly one of my favorite players to interview because he's so um 
he enjoys talking with us and he enjoys opening up and he smiles a lot and just jokes. And so uh, I just think this is the right group. This is the, this is the group that likes to have fun. This is a group that can hold each other accountable. And I think a big part of that also goes to um, credit goes to Ty Lu because he's uh, it's not a knock on Doc Rivers necessarily, but Lou is a younger coach. He recently retired. Uh, I think it was eight years ago. Um, he won a title with LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love, some of the big egos there. And so I think um, there's a rela- relatability factor there where he, he's, he's able to um, relate to a lot of these players. Who, he's not that much older than them. Um, he's played in some of the newer, newer age um, basketball. I mean, I think his last game was uh, with the Magic in 09, but that was still, he, he, he's, he's more relatable than, than Doc Rivers was. And I think he, his, his willingness to adjust and, and be vocal with his players, it really has gone a long way. But um, also, like I said, credit the front office because they, they, they put together a team that I think really enjoys one another. Um, they enjoy playing with one another uh, and they complement each other really, really well. Um, I did not know what to expect of Nick Batum, but now part of me feels like he was hiding some of this or something. Cause he's just been, I mean, he's been incredible. That guy, that guy is incredible. He's been great for us, man. Uh, my last question in point. Um, the other, the other thing that Clipper nation says to me all the time is that we are just in dire need of some quote playmaking point guard. Right. And, I hate this question so much because <laughs> I love Patrick Beverly. I love what Patrick Beverly brings to the team and to the table and the intangibles that he does for us is so big. And then having guys like Lou and Luke Kennard, uh, Reggie, obviously, uh, you know, do you think there's some like glaring need that everybody else sees that I don't, that we need, that we need a playmaking point guard? I don't think I'd be opposed to the Clippers going after like a George Hill or something, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't, think you you need it i wouldn't say that's the that's the game changer right there like i think this team is good enough to win a title as it is they don't need a playmaker uh, or another one anyways um i think a big part of that was because the clippers didn't look like they had an offensive identity identity last year um it was kind of like just um here Kawhi go to work or here paul go to work or here trez go to work or here lou go to work with uh trez and so i think this year, like at least for me, I didn't see much of an offensive system last year. It no, it was give the ball to Kawhi and then he'll yeah. figure it out. And Kawhi hated that. He hated that. It felt like more like, okay, go do your work. And yeah. so now we've seen the triangle offense implemented where Ka- Kawhi is really operating at a mid to high post. And he's he's able to knock down three, but a bunch of his work is coming in that mid to high post area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then mismatches. I think um, that's been the key. Whenever Kawhi gets switched onto a guard or uh, PG gets switched onto a guard or, or, you know, Zoo or Surge has, has a little guy on them, uh, they make sure to capitalize on it. And so I don't think they really need a, a playmaking point guard. As long as they run their offense the way um, Ty Lue has, has been telling them to, um, you know, attacking the paint and, and and running through their key guys, I think they'll be fine. I don't think they necessarily need a playmaking point guard. Um, I think late game, you know, I've talked to Ty about this and I've asked him about this, his offensive philosophy, and he said um, – the first uh, 42 minutes, it's pretty much just, uh, you know, attack the paint, run through our guys. And then the last six minutes is throw the ball to Kawhi, throw the ball to PG, and let them go to work once they have a, once they have a rhythm. Mm-hmm. And so that, I guess, worries me a little bit uh, because, you know, there was a game in, uh, I think it was Phoenix, where Phoenix was coming back and Kawhi shot like 4 of 21 in that game. And they kept going to Kawhi and the shot just wasn't working. And I'm like, he got good shots, 
um, but he didn't make them. Mm-hmm. So is that just something you have to live with? Uh, and Tyler said, yeah, it is something you have to live with because he's Kawhi freaking Leonard. Right. So um, if that if if there is a concern, that might be it for me, just their, their late game offense, but they've got some fantastic shot makers, so I don't even think it's that much of a big deal uh, to me. So to answer your playmaker question no i don't think it's that much of a big deal i I agree with you 100 percent. will you be buying the jared dudley bubble book to read all of jared dudley's what (laughs) save your book jared ain't nobody i'm not buying it hey uh tomer i really appreciate you i want you to plug your podcast plug where you're at you can find me at tomer azarly that's t-o-m-e-r-a-z-a-r-l-y on twitter and instagram and TikTok, I'm not really on there, but I'm, I'm working my way into it. Um, I did just record uh, Battle for LA podcast is my podcast name. Um, still working on, on, a, on a guest co-host, uh, but I did just have Larry Nance Jr. as a guest on there. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll be promoting some things from that podcast as well. We talked about a lot of uh, Lakers stuff and, and I think a bit of Clippers, but mostly Lakers and Cavs stuff. Um, hopefully I get Matt Barnes on the show in a bit and we'll be talking a lot of Clippers there. So cool. uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, but yeah, I just want to thank you for having me on. I, I, I know we've been in contact and I appreciate you uh, reaching out and finding time and, and getting me on the show. I, I'm looking forward to, to being on here some more. You guys are fun. Hey, I appreciate you so much, bro. Let's uh, stay in contact, dude. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Thank you very right. much. Peace. All right. Thanks to the homie Tomer. We appreciate it. We're definitely going to have him on the show um, again. Guys, we're on basketballnews.com. You should check us out. So many good podcasts. Uh, Kenya Martin just signed his boy Jadakiss for season two of Neat and Unfiltered. That should be really interesting. Eton Thomas, the rematch. Of course, the follow-through with Clips and Drew. We got the Alex Kennedy show. We got Spencer Davies doing uh, Keeping It 94. There is so much. Dishes and Dimes, again, here's my ninth plug for Dishes and Dimes. We're up. Great podcast, Toronto-based. These girls know what they're talking about. But uh, check us out over there. Follow us. Um, I think we're going to take him out with my boy Memphis Bleak, who's not from Memphis. Drew, do you know what Memphis stands for? Uh, so I, I know it's a it, it's some sort of like acronym, right? It, making, it's not... making easy money, pimping hoes in style. But he is one of my favorite rappers from back in the day, Marcy Projects, one of Jay-Z's guys. So In My Life is the song, Drew. It's a follow-through with Clips and Drew, and we're ghosts. Yo, I'm still at regular, set a cat from the street. Thugging it, loving my life is mentally, but I'm stuck with hugging that block, selling that D. Grew up with nothing but killers and OGs. I'm the product of the ghetto till they bag me up with a bell stash in case they snatch me up. I'm a soldier in this war and I resemble my pops. I ain't nothing like him. That's where this criminal stop. I provide for the fam, divide them grams, cook it, make flips, survival plans. Being successful, I had every intent, but I went to that high school playing the bench. We live off wit. This life, I switch up strips. I was raised by the gun, so I switch up clips. Getting my hustle on, trying to switch up kicks. I won't change being thug. I won't switch up shit. It's my life, nigga. Ghetto. I've been through the struggle, downfall and the hurt, putting the close one 
deep in the dirt I lost one of my road dogs in 9-8 I still see him every time I look in his mom's face But don't cry, we gon' see the light I know he up in heaven and he gon' lead us right I live by the street so I'ma die by the street As long as I'm alive his daughter never need We used to be this close but now we feel we this far apart Me and that nigga can't talk We can't bag and kick it, bag some bitches Only time I see him is when I glance at pictures But I gotta face the fact my niggas is gone But I'ma ride to the death and still I'm on in my life, nigga Sometimes I just grab the car keys and ride with no music I'm just riding the vibe I done came a long way from using the plate Touching the eight, who would have thought I'd make it today? It was just yesterday, mom's waiting on the stamps. The spot got shot up, and Dre still locked up. It's me against the world with no brother, just a revolver. And I ain't thinking about seeing the mall. I got 62 grams in a six shot eight with plans to hit the block and get shit straight. But my dog just got shot, spot just got rushed. I lost all my weight when the crack pot bust. I was left with zip, zero, nothing. That's when I realized that my life ain't about nothing. The world wouldn't understand bleak in the street So I took it to the booth and gave y'all the speech <laughs> 